0: Praise his name. Bless the Lord. After a sense of the Lord in a house like that, sometimes it's a great platform to preach and other times you don't even want to. You just want to go on and worship him. You know, generally we've been looking at First Peter chapter 2, so if you'd like to turn just as a basis we've read this every week we will be finishing here when we finish as I said I thought I was going to do two at the most three of this and this is a sidelight last week and this week is a sidelight study of the Lord's word after being asked just to um, explain a wee verse or two that someone couldn't really get to grips with 1st Peter chapter 2 please and verse 9 But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Turn with me again, please, also, to the book of Matthew Matthew 24 and one verse please Matthew 24 and verse 14 and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come notice that preached in all the world for a witness to the nations and then shall the end come. Now please go with me to the book of Hosea again. The book of Hosea please. Wonderful book. Book of Hosea chapter 1. We'll not read through it all. I'll explain it to save time. And if you just open around chapter 1 we'll see how we can run into this to try and keep the thread from last week. It will take probably a form of a little bible study this evening rather than a preach well we'll see how the lord leads us and I am conscious of God's spirit here conscious of an anointing and I don't want to say or do anything or act in any way that would hinder the moving of his spirit or (coughs) grieve him in any sense shape or form he's too precious for that he's far too precious Hosea is a representative if you want he is a a type of Yahweh, Almighty God. And he's told to go marry a woman called Gomer. Gomer is a representative or a type of the house of Israel. Remember the northern kingdom, Samaria being their capital city, and Judah with the southern kingdom, Jerusalem being their capital city. Wicked kings came out of the house of Israel. Virtually every one of them were wicked before God, and he kept forgiving them. He kept calling them to himself, and they wouldn't listen. And all sorts of laws were brought in, all sorts of gods, and all sorts of temples, and all sorts of idols, and you can just see it replicated in our nation tonight. And the law of God was thrown out, and the name of the Lord was not to be revered, and all manner of things, profanities, were in the nation and in the land. And at one point, the house of Israel, this northern kingdom, they were immensely wealthy, very prosperous. They had what we called in the Southern Ireland, anyhow, the Celtic tiger at one time. They had, when there was great prosperity in the land and there was a lot of uh, trade going on and that prosperity and that trade, just like it's happened in our own nation, uh, it brought in multicultural faith. It brought in a lot of Again where men and women did not want to know the name of God, the God of Israel who brought them out of Egypt. And they'd made bull calves, one in Dan they set, and one in Bethel. And Jeroboam the second claims, These be thy gods, O Israel, who brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And it's very similar to in the Book of Exodus, when Moses is up the mountain, you read that Aaron makes a golden calf out of the gold that is taken from the Israelites. And that symbolizes a God who was also one of the Egyptian gods. And what it was is they're making their mentality God to be whom they want him to be. In other words, once we form who God is in our mind and not according to the Bible, not according to his word, not according to the book, when we form a God in our mind, we form who we want him to be. And that's whether when we tell him how to answer prayers or how he should react to a certain thing and it means then also what people who think well I don't think God is a God of judgment yet the Bible is full of it and I don't think that God is coming back in power and glory in the person of his son the Lord Jesus and there's all sorts of explanations for it and they've formed a God in their mind Or people think Jesus looked like this and they put a picture up in a painting and and I've been in homes where there's statues and paintings and pictures who are allegedly, supposedly an artist's interpretation of whom Christ is. And brothers and sisters, if that's in your house, pull it down and throw it out. That's an idol. You might say it's just a picture, it's just a statue. It's an idol. It's something in your mind to portray whom Christ is. Tear it down. Burn it throw it out. Because what we are doing is we're making gods of our own image. We're bringing God down to the level, the supreme almighty being of the heavens and the earth, the one true living God, the great eternal spirit. And we're bringing him right down to a man's mentality and man's level. And thou shalt not make any graven images Nothing that is in the heavens, not an an angelic look about him, or nothing on the earth, nothing that represents an animal or anything that we know, or nothing under the earth, given the idea of those things that are spirit-formed in another world. And so we're told not to make an image like that, to bow down to it, even if we think it's God even if it's to remind us or as some claim to help us worship God, nothing can help you worship the Lord but the Holy Ghost. Now think about this. Nothing can help you worship him but the Holy Spirit himself. And you'll worship him because he'll elevate, he'll lift up his son in you and you'll love him. You'll love him from the depths of your heart. Here we have uh, this Dan and Bethel. They have the bull calves there. And so he proclaims, Jeroboam II proclaims, These be thy gods, O Israel. Then the lines of kings come out of there, and the lines of kings are all wicked. And God, in his grace and his mercy and his long suffering, he sends prophet after prophet. He sends Hosea to the house of Israel, the northern kingdom. He sends Amos who was a sheep herder in the house of Judah and he sends him up north and he says go up and tell them to repent that's why Amos 4 and 12 says, and we have it in, notice, in notices and signs and, and maybe above gospel halls or, or above church uh, highway pulpits or maybe nailed to a piece of wood on the side of a road or, or onto a tree written on a piece of wood and prepare to meet thy God. But what Amos was to do was to go to the northern kingdom. Remember, the house of Judah is where we get the name Jew from. The, the northern kingdom were known as Israel. They were known as the house of Israel or Samaria. And so he he sends this man, Amos, up. And Amos 4 and 12 says, Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. In other words, God is going to judge. God is going to carry you away. And we read that last week and other weeks, and I've taught you before on it. And the Assyrians came and carried them away. They wouldn't listen to the Lord. So here we have Hosea, the type of Yahweh. Gomer is the type of the house of Israel. This prophecy, although the house of Judah is mentioned in it, but it's aimed at Ephraim or Joseph or Samaria or the house of Israel. It's all the same peoples, the northern kingdom. Just different titles and different names. In fact, uh, uh, the Lord calls uh, Ephraim or the house of, uh, of Israel a backsliding heifer. Gives the idea of a cow who's went down to the waters to drink And on the muddy riverbank, can't make it up again. She's become too fat and too heavy. And the more she climbs up, the more she sinks in the mire. Because she has laden herself with her own lusts. And she climbs up the riverbank, but the water going in, that which she once drank in so much to consume on her own lusts, that is what is holding her back and bogging her down and making it impossible for her to get out of this riverbank. And the Lord says, Ephraim, the house of Israel is like likened onto a backsliding heifer. This cow who is laying down and slides back down the riverbank and tries to get up and slides again. So the Lord likens that. That's where you get the word backsliding from. And you can see how our nation, a nation which was built on the Bible, built on the book, built on the Word of God, with the missionaries going at how it's become a backslidden nation, an apostate nation, a godless nation. And little evangelical Ulster isn't much far behind the mainland, unfortunately. We're getting there. So here we have the Lord saying, marry a woman, Gomer. This woman, turns out, It's another story, but she turns out to be a woman who is of ill repute. She turns out to be adulterous. And the Lord says, that's what you're like with me. You're always cheating on me. You're backsliding on me in heart. You're breaking my heart, in other words. God says, now I keep loving you. And brothers and sisters, our hearts are still the same. In our hearts, we backslide from God to one degree or another. And we have to live in God's grace that He carries us through at times. Saved by grace and kept by the power of God through faith on the salvation. And here the Lord says, This woman is breaking your heart. Gomer is breaking Hosea's heart. Hosea means salvation. You're breaking mine. Israel, you're breaking mine. Northern Kingdom is you're breaking mine. And if you remember last week they have three children. The first one was in verse 3. It says, call his name Jezreel, which means God sows or God scatters. And this is what God's going to do. He's going to take you and scatter you, sow you like a grain of wheat. Like in First Peter chapter 2, we have shown you that it gives the idea, or rather First Peter chapter 1, it gives the idea to the strangers scattered. It gives the idea of a handful of grain. And the Lord is speaking initially to these people where it he throws them a certain direction like a farmer throws a handful of wheat or grain and it goes in a direction and we looked at that, how it came west. The gospel follows and everyone hears and uh, the next thing we have, the church, the ecclesia of God being gathered together. People starting to bow the knee to Christ. We looked at the first one was Jezreel, God's soul, so it gives the idea of judgment. And then with the second one that we looked at, the next child was to be called Loamai, and he means you are not my people. You're not be my people, house of Israel, anymore. And then the the, the, the next one was a daughter, and, and, and Lohorhamah, which means I will have no more mercy. So the mercy was there was no mercy until the judgment came. They were carried away. They were scattered. But then he says the day would come when it says you're not my children, you're not my sons, you're not my daughters, but there you are, the sons of the living God. We looked at John 1 and 12, where all who believe in Christ, it says, to them give he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And we looked at that also in the book of Romans. So here we have these names meaning so much. Now I have a little... Something to rectify. I said a mistake and I was driving last Monday up uh, up the road and it just dawned on me what I said. I, I gave you wrong information last week, so forgive me. I'm going to rectify it. I said to you that the Valley of Jezreel was from Sinai. Sinai isn't even in Israel, never mind the south of Israel. It isn't even in it. It's Mount Carmel, I meant to say. Okay, so let me just rectify that. From Mount Carmel is in the west and from there... Over to the River Jordan was the great valley of Jezreel. And let me tell you also some things about this valley. It's about 10 mile by about 10 mile. The people say it's called Jezreel because there is a city of Jezreel there. And it gives the idea sometimes to the area around about that city. Because further down on the southwest, now I'm sure of this for my directions, on the southwest you have the city of Megiddo. And there you have the valley of Megiddo. And that's where you have what's known as Armageddon. That comes from that name, Megiddo. So this whole valley, the valley or the plain of Esdrelon as it's known also, this means uh, people tend to think when we get to this verse 11 that there's going to be a, a happy time. It's not a happy time. It is for some, but it's not for others. And it means more. Armageddon is a worldwide event. I believe Armageddon started in 1914, but that's another story. That's another story. It will increase and get worse before the coming of the Lord. But notice this, verse 11. Then shall the children of Judah, southern kingdom, children of Israel, the northern, be gathered together and appoint themselves one head. Now if we looked at that, that the head is Christ, the head of the corner, the head of the church. Notice that he is the head of the kingdom. Everything revolves around him. There's no other head. I can't go through that study. I took all uh, quite a lengthy message last Sunday evening to, to bring all that out. You can download it or you can get a CD of it. Notice this. And appoint themselves one head and they shall come up out of the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Notice that. For great shall be the day of Jezreel. Here we're thinking that this is a gathering of a location and it's going to be a great day. It's going to be a tremendous day. Do you know that this is only the starting place, the, the blue touch paper event of the coming before the coming of the Lord, when World War three, as some people call it, some people call it the Battle of Armageddon, but it's really known as the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And this will be when all nations come against that land. And Ezekiel 38 tells us of all the nations that come in their conglomerates and their, and their confederacies to fight one against another and it becomes a global event. Let me show you something. You might not have heard this before. Let me just break this down for you. Verse 11, they shall come up out of the land. Notice that. They shall come up out of the land. Let me look at the word land for one moment. The word land here is the Hebrew word Eretz. You have heard it maybe on Christian television, Eretz Israel. It really means the land of Israel. That's all it means. It's nothing special and it's nothing mystical. That's simply what it means. But the word Eretz can mean land, any portion of land, this bit of land we've bought beside us here at the church to, uh, to try and, and extend out. This land here is Eretz. It's a piece of land. It can also mean territory, a territory of land. It can also mean uh, a land without return. In other words, it was put down in strong uh, in Strong's Hebrew uh, lexicon. It means Sheol or the underworld. That land down there. But it's strange that the word Eretz means earth. E-A-R-T-H. And it's said for the word earth, listen, 712 times in your Bible. And many, I haven't looked to see how many, but I know that many, if not almost all of them, Refer to the whole earth when judgment comes. Not just a little piece of earth. Let me give you an example, okay? Genesis chapter 1, please. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. See so this will take a Bible study so it's a little calmer and I'm, I'm sensitive as it were to the, 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 the Lord because he was very sensitive in our worship and in the meeting. He was very quieting and comforting and I don't want to be getting too excited unless he leads me that way to preach. I want to show you. Why did I want you to take it in. Genesis chapter 1 please. Verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Let me read it the way we would read, putting the word in. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the word. The whole earth. Okay. Notice this again, verse 10. And God called the dry land earth. Eretz. The dry land was called Eretz. Okay? So we can see that it means more than just a little piece of land. Now look at this. There's many, many instances. I just wanted to bring you back to the seedbed of the Bible that you would see that. Now let's read Hosea chapter 1 and verse 11 again. Listen to what it says. And they shall come up out of the land. And they shall come up. See the words come up. It's a word Allah. And the word Allah we find it again. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Let's look at it. Let's see what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 2. And let your eye run down, please, to verse 6. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. This again is the word there went up means the mist that rises from the ground. It going up out of the earth, up out of the erets is the word. Allah from the erets. You get the picture? There's a mist rising from the ground to water the whole earth. Now let's just stay there for a moment and go to Genesis chapter 8 please. After the great flood, Noah and his family come off the ark as it rests on Ararat. Chapter 8, please. And let your eye run down to verse 20. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took a very clean beast and a very clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now, it's hard to find the word there, but that Hebrew word and the meaning of the Hebrew word, for many of them are a picture form. It gives the idea to offer up when he had lit the altar. The smoke... The burning carcass, all of it ascended into heaven or into the air. That's the idea of it. It's the word Allah. Okay, let's look at Exodus chapter 20, please. Just to try and show you the strength of some of these words. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20. Let your eye run down again. Verse 23. Verse 23. Verse 24, I think it is. The altar of earth thou shalt make unto me and shalt sacrifice thereupon thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen, and all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee and I will bless thee. When you're looking and you see an altar and the animals were put on it, this again gives the idea of something that will rise up, the word "Alha." In fact, when Israel were in bondage in Egypt, um, we're told that their cry came up onto God because of the affliction of the Egyptians and that's the same word Allah their cry ascended up it means to come from low to high so when we're talking about uh, the come up out of the land people tend to think it talks about moving specifically to one geographical location i.e. the land of Israel and it's not it means more than that and neither does it mean that it's just here we are in this land and here we are Lord that's not what it means it gives the idea that there's something cataclysmic is going to happen. There will be a rising up out of the erits, the earth. Listen to what Farrar Fanton's direct Hebrew translation says. Let me read the verse. Go to Hosea 1, please, in verse 11. And they will point a single head for themselves and rise up from the earth for the great day of God's harvest. Okay? And this is mentioned in Matthew 13. We'll look at it in a moment. Notice what he says. Let me read the verse again and then read it to you. And they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Let me read Venton's version. They will appoint a single head for themselves, that is Christ. And rise up from the earth for the great day of God's harvest. That's how the direct Hebrew translation reads. For the great day of God's harvest. Go to Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13. Okay. Write down to verse 38. For time's sake, please. 13 and verse 38. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away I can hardly see. Bear with me. And catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. Pardon me, it's verse 38. say the 10 I'm reading from. We all reading from verse 38 there. Because I was the team. I knew I couldn't see it. And I thought, no, it's not right. Let me just look over here. Yes, there's it there. The Lord Jesus gives the explanation for the seed. They're wanting to know what is the seed? What is the field? Notice as he says, the field is the world. The man who sows a seed in the field. The good seed, notice, are the children of the kingdom. Now take note of that. Here's a kingdom parable. They are the children of the kingdom. and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous, notice this, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. I'm starting to read at the start there. This is the answer to the parable I am starting to read. But here we have the Lord saying that the, 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 the seed... That is sown in the field. In this parable, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. Scattered. Do you see that with the grain? Scattered. And then there's coming a time when Christ will come and those who have received him, they will be gathered together. And the, the tares will be gathered together. And they will be burned. Let me take you somewhere, please. And let me just take you to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, please. Notice this. And many of them, verse 2, that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Daniel's speaking here of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming. Daniel's speaking of Matthew 13. Daniel's speaking of the resurrection of the dead. And that's what's happening, talking about those who will rise up from the land or the earth, the earth. There'll be those who will rise up in the resurrection, those who have died in Christ... And we, which are alive, shall be caught up with them. Turn to the book of First Thessalonians, please, and we'll show you. First Thessalonians. I really have you flicking tonight. It, I'm just trying to throw so many scriptures out to you that really try and strengthen uh, this is this apologetic study if I can. For chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that is those who have died, that ye sorrow not as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which also sleep or died in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Here, we're being told by Paul is, look, those who have died in Christ, when Christ returns, if we're alive, when he returns, he says, we won't be caught up and changed before they are. In fact, he says, we'll not prevent them or we'll not go before them. Notice what he says in let your eye... Run on down to verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Notice that. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. He says, Wherefore, comfort one another or each other with this word. Turn with me again to Revelation, please. The book of Revelation, chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, please. And we'll read from verse 11. At this point, Christ has ruled and reigned for a thousand years. Here is the second resurrection, as it's known in the Bible. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into, or death in the grave, in other words, no more death, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the Bible, not me. This is those who Daniel speaks of. Daniel chapter 12. Okay, let's go back then, to the book of Hosea. There's a little tell-tale verse in Isaiah 26. You don't need to turn with it. Go to Hosea, please. And it's verse 19, and it says, Awake ye, awake and sing ye, that dwell in the dust, for thy Jew is as the dew of Herbs. In other words, it's singing on to the dead in Christ. Awake and sing ye. Come out of the dust. This is the same term As Hosea chapter 1 and verse 11. And let's read this verse again. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land. Here is the resurrection. For great shall be the day of Jezreel. Or in other words, great will be that day of judgment and harvest. I don't know if you've seen that before and you've known that before. And how are we to be found in Christ? It's in the new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, please. Jeremiah chapter 31. You're not far across the page from it if you go back over. Jeremiah chapter 31. Let your eye run down, please. The verse 31. Behold, the day has come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which was, which my covenant they break, although I was in husband unto them. Remember Hosea and Gomer? I was in husband. See that? I was in husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. In other words, those who are God's people are going to be Christian people in the new covenant in Christ. We're all going to be Christian people in Christ. Verse 34, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now, when does God remember our sin no more? And how does God forgive our iniquity? Is it because of some note rolled up and put in a retaining wall that's allegedly meant to be of Solomon's temple, and we and praying? Is it because of some ritualistic, whether it's a Protestant denomination or a Catholic denomination? Is it because we're so good and we're so worthy and we think we're all right as we are? How is it that God forgives a man and a woman their sin? There's only one way to be forgiven of your sin and of your iniquity, and it's through the blood of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus only. Okay. Okay. We'll not read this verse, but you can mark it and read it. The New Covenant, it's mentioned it again. This verse is mentioned where? In Hebrews chapter 8. So mark it, and you can read it when you go home. Hebrews 8, verses 8 to 12. And here, the Hebrew writer starts to remind us, you're only saved in the New Covenant. Do you know why the book of Hebrews was written? It was written because there were Jews who had been, uh, claimed Christ as Savior, heard the gospel, And through persecution, or one reason or another, they started to turn away and go back to Judaism. And the whole of the book of Hebrews is written to tell them That Christ is greater. The new covenant is a better covenant. It's an eternal and an everlasting covenant. The covenant of blood. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no more sacrifice. There's no more temple worship for sins and offerings. It's all been done in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in it that Christ is greater than Moses. And Christ is greater than Aaron as a high priest. It says that Christ is greater than Joshua. And Christ is greater than the angels. The whole book of Hebrews is Christ is sovereign. Christ is supreme. Christ is glorified Christ and Christ alone that's the book of Hebrews that he is our great high priest our magathos the great and mighty high priest the high priest to finish all other high priestly ministries for he has received the the high priestly order after Melchizedek that is he who is without beginning or end without mother and father descent not Aaron's descent of sinful man And the Hebrew letter was written for that. And yet today we have people and they're saying we want to go back into Judaistic worship. Brothers and sisters, the only way we can worship because Jesus says in John chapter 4 that the Father seeks men and women to worship him in spirit and in truth. After the woman said, you go to Jerusalem to worship. He says the time is coming and now is. Well, they that worship the Father must worship him. It's like you must be born again. You must worship him in spirit and in truth. Here we have the great resurrection. I hope I've explained that to you. Do you know time has flown already? Can you give me another five minutes? Is that all right? Turn with me. Here's a question I was asked and I'll do this rather quickly. Turn with me to Hosea chapter 3 Hosea chapter 3 folks I believe I'm not a, against people any people are, I have no personal ilk with any people but what we must do is stand for the truth of the word of God we must put Christ first in everything if Christ isn't first if he's not Lord of all then he's not Lord at all. if he's not Lord of your home, he's not Lord at all. If he's not Lord of your life, even if he's given a corner of it or a portion of it, then he's not Lord of your life. Don't call him Lord because he isn't. But he must be Lord in this house. He must be Lord of the Word. He's the Word of the Lord and the Lord of the Word. notice this in Hosea chapter 3. And let your eye run down for two verses. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, without an ephod, without a teraphim. Afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Notice when it is. The latter days. Deaths. I'll say it again. The latter days. Now when you go to the New Testament, into the New Covenant, the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, his ascension into heaven, those days until today is known as the last days. And the latter years are coming. We're the last of the last days as we believe. But it's known as the last days. So the latter years and the last days are in the same time span that these people have to become Christian. There's a time when you and I must be in Christ. There's a time that they must turn to Jesus if you want saved. If you want to go to heaven, if you want to be in his kingdom, you must be saved. You must be in the new covenant. And the new covenant must be in you. The Lord says, it won't be the covenant that I made with our fathers. But I'll write my law in their inward parts. And remember what we have looked at in other other weeks. The Lord says, I will speak comfortably unto them in the wilderness. Do you remember that? The Lord says he'll lure them. That was Israel scattered into the wilderness, into Europe and so on. He says, and I'll speak comfortably. So the gospel of saving grace comes and he speaks comfortably to the heart and to the, the soul of every man and woman that he is calling. To his elect, he's saying, I'm speaking to you. And he writes his word. He writes his law in our hearts. And we don't carry it on two tablets of stone or tables of stone anymore. We carry it in our spirit. So we walk with him. And remember, it's not religion, relationship. It's relationship. Religion is what? I told you. Religion is a man sitting in church thinking about fishing. Relationship is a man out fishing thinking about God. Just a little idea for us to get the understanding the difference. Religion is we sit in church and we think, I wish this was over, my dinner's in the oven, it's time I was going. Religion, religion, religion. And there's no Christ in it. There's no looking for the anointing. There's no spirit. Jesus isn't glorified. We haven't come to worship. We have come to clock and warm a seat. And we're glad to see everyone that comes in. But that's religion. Relationship is no matter where you are. And you're out fishing someday. You're sitting in there and the rod has been cast. The, the, the hook is in the water. And you're just sitting going, Lord, you're beautiful. Lord, I love you. Lord, look at your creation. Isn't it wonderful? Thank you for giving me the strength to be here. And you talk and commune with him. That's relationship. And when the Lord says, I'll write it on their hearts, relationship says, Lord, I won't steal. And I won't stab my brother in the back. And I won't come. And I won't hurt that person. And I won't murder. And I won't commit adultery. And I won't do this. And I won't do that. Because your word is in my heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee, said the psalmist. If his word isn't hidden in the heart then we all sin against him. Okay. The Bible, without a king was asked to explain us. Here's it in a nutshell. We're finished. Without a king the house of Israel and the house of Judah two kingdoms had two lines of kings. In other words the house of Israel would be carried away. This is written to them. And they would would do without a king for many days. But the house of Judah, if you remember last week, the Lord says, "But I will have mercy on the house of Judah." They had the Jerusalem king. So it's the house of Israel he's speaking to. They did not have a king for many days. Notice what it says here. It says that they will not have a king and they'll be without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, without an ephod, without. The teraphim. Basically what this means is without a, sac- a king or a prince, without a sacrifice, there'll be no spiritual service or spiritual worship to their true living God. And that's what happened. They became gentilized and lost their way. It means they'll be without an ephod. They had no supernatural guidance of the Lord and direction. He had divorced them. That's the word that God uses. He had divorced them, but he didn't divorce the house of Judah. He divorced the house of Israel and he says it in his word, he divorced. I'm taking down another study there and I don't want to start opening another can of worms. But this is what he says. So to re betroth he goes again in the person of his son and he says, in the new covenant, I will be your bridegroom. He draws us. We're his bride. without supernatural guidance, they're lost to themselves. Afterward, after many deaths, he'll say, you're the sons of the living God. John 1 and 12. The Christian gospel, the gospel of grace, are all in Christ. It's pet and fool. And he has nailed and blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that were against us. He's kneeling it to his cross. Here's what I've written. Only one sacrifice, only one spirit, only one saviour. Only one redeemer. Only one head. Only one king. Only one way. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. One. Notice what it says here in verse 5. And they and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And people have come up with, there's going to be David resurrected to rule on the throne. And they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's look at the word. Isaiah 55, verses 3 and 4 says, Incline your ear and come unto me. Here in your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Even the sure mercies of David. Now, the everlasting covenant is Jeremiah 31. The new covenant that would be made. We have looked at it. The covenant of blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even the sure mercies of David. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. Now, when Isaiah writes this, David's been dead for hundreds of years. David's in the grave. He's dead. He's gone. His spirit has returned to God to give it. David is not walking the face of the earth. Jeremiah 30, and verse 9 says, And they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, Whom I will raise up unto them. So what is going on here? Jeremiah is even further down the road than Isaiah. Yet they're saying he's going to raise up David their king. Let's look at the scriptures again then. Let's look at the scriptures. Isaiah 9 and 6. We read it at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor.